Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we're going to look back at the new generation era a little bit. We're going to look forward to an immense Labor Day weekend full of premium live event pay-per-view wrestling and a whole lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. How are you, everybody? Last week of summer, if you're listening to this when the podcast comes out, welcome to 410, episode 410 of Not Sam Wrestling, and a lot to go over today. Uh, First, I do want to say thanks to... uh, Everybody that checked out and maybe uh, sent messages about the Rey Mysterio A&E biography. Uh, I was was given the opportunity. I was uh, asked to be a part of it. And I was uh, very, very humbled uh, to get that request. Um, You know, uh, 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 Rey Mysterio is, I was just reading my uh, uh, notsamwrestling at gmail.com email. Uh, subjects. That's why I, I stuttered for a sec. Um, Rey Mysterio is just one of those uh, stories and just one of those people that I think time will only continue to be good to. I, I feel like there are certain people on this planet in various professions uh, that we haven't fully caught up to what their true impact is is and will continue to be. And I think that as much as Rey Mysterio is respected and as much as he's honored and and, and is, as highly rated and talked about as he is, I, I don't think people have fully grasped it yet. I don't think that we fully understand the scope of how important Rey Mysterio is and, and, and what an incredible story his is. Um... I also, I mean, I just feel really good about the way the whole thing went down because uh, it 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 goes to it's it speaks on on the power of the way we create content nowadays and and you know and and creating content that you kind of believe in. You know, several months ago, maybe almost a year ago at this point, uh, I did a, a podcast. It was it must have been. No, it probably was February of this year, I want to say. Uh, I did a podcast chronicling Rey Mysterio's career. What happened was he became a trending topic on Twitter because it was leaked that he was going to be the uh, cover superstar for 2K22. Now, I already knew he was the cover superstar because I was going to Tulsa like a week after that to host the press conference with Byron Saxton where we were announcing that Rey Mysterio was the cover superstar and we were going to talk to him. But regardless of all that, uh, once it leaked, it was trending because there were people that were like, ah, that's kind of a letdown. Rey Mysterio, really? And it was like, what? A letdown? And it, I was offended by that. I was deeply offended by this, this, this lack of understanding of the importance of Rey Mysterio that some people had. So it motivated me and I, I, you know, got my laptop out and started tip, tip, typing, tip, tip, typing, watching matches, watching videos. And I put together one of my uh, 
sort of story biography type podcasts where I, you know, spent 40 minutes or so chronicling the the career and more importantly for my purposes and the purposes of what we do on on this show, the story arc of Rey Mysterio and, and the journey that the character has taken over an entire career. That to me is, is sort of the most interesting thing to think about. It's how I think about pro wrestling. But I did this, this you know, long sort of in-depth podcast that I really, when I do stuff like that, I promise you there is no more strategy than I'm going to enjoy doing this and I think it should be done. I, I, you know, I don't think enough people do stuff like this. I, I like it. I enjoy the process of it. And hopefully you do too. And I, I get feedback that a lot of you do. So, you know, but I say all this to say that uh, I was at WrestleMania a couple of months later and I was walking around uh, backstage, you know, probably trying to get noticed by whoever would notice me. And this gentleman walks up to me and he goes, Sam, Sam, right? I was like, yeah, hey, how are you? And he introduced himself to me as the person who was doing the Rey Mysterio documentary for A&E. I said, that's great. That's I'm, I'm just glad that it's happening because at that point I didn't know, I don't think that I knew that that he was one of the superstars getting selected for a biography. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so glad you're doing that. And he was like, yeah, I'm just... I'm just starting to get my feet wet, but it's really, it's all so fascinating and there's so much there. I go, yeah, there, I mean, there's a ton. It's one of the great stories uh, uh, that a character has in this in, in this world and of wrestling, I mean. And he goes, well, yeah, you know, when I was searching through stuff, one of the things that I found was your podcast on his whole career. And I went, oh my God, wow. Like, that's not why I do that stuff. That would be very... Uh, I don't know if pretentious is the right word. Um, I mean, insane would probably be the right word. If I was sitting there going like, oh man, if I do these bio, if I, if I do go in depth and tell these story arcs of these characters long form over the course of years, people will really recognize, like recognize what? My psychosis? Maybe. But he recognized it and he, and he goes, yeah, I listened to that podcast and I was like, yeah, we got to get him on the documentary. I'd love for you to be a part of it and to kind of tell some of these stories for our purposes. I was like, that's amazing. Of course I would love to do that. But that's to say that like, you know, you create something in your basement just because you have a passion for it and just because you think it it should exist. It's a weird thing to do, to just sit in front of a microphone and talk about Rey Mysterio's career just because you want anybody who will listen to you to know about Rey Mysterio's career. And then to know that, you know, somebody hears that and they go, we're making a biography. We're making a documentary about Ray for A&E. And because of that podcast, we want you to be a part of it. I mean, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. But for those reasons and a lot more, I was very happy to not only be a part of the Ray Mysterio biography, but the Ray and Eddie uh, rivals show. Because, I mean, when you talk about rivalries, Ray and Eddie is about as good as it gets. So, all of those are, are are a lot of I mean a lot of fun to be a part of. It's one of the one of the great things that I get to do uh, as sort of one of the people who talk about wrestling. It's just it's a lot of fun. So thank you to everybody that watched it and to the the filmmakers and and everybody that thought of me for it. Um, I did you know I I uh, before we start talking about what we've got coming up this weekend because it's a lot. 
uh, 13 months ago, Mattel started this uh, crowdfunding exercise where uh, Mattel, the you know toy company, they make the WWE action figures, they were putting together the new generation ultimate arena where if you uh, pre-ordered for $250, then uh, if 5,000 people or more did it, then you would uh, be able to be the owner once it was produced, it's not being produced until we get 5,000 orders, but you would become the owner when they're available of a real scale to the Mattel Ultimate Edition action figures, WWE ring styled around the new generation and what the ring looked like in you know the early to mid 90s, say 90, mid 92 to mid 94. Uh, and also... Uh, a, a, an entryway, a, a giant neon entryway with LEDs that look like the big neon entryway that like WWE started using at WrestleMania 8 and, and used in pieces uh, up until basically they put the raw letters up, the R-A-W letters up. Um, and then also it, they, it would come with an ultimate edition diesel action figure. And if you get the 7,000 backers, it would come with an ultimate edition doink action figure. And then they added a, commentator macho man ultimate edition action figure and then they uh uh said if we get to eight thousand backers we'll give you ring skirts that have the in your house and wrestlemania logos on them two different sets so you know whatever this thing does get backed but it's just 13 months ago and it finally arrived uh on sunday is when i finally got it people over the last uh week 10 days say 10 days uh have been receiving theirs and boy has it been a long 10 days for me but i finally got it it's amazing. I built it. I did a live stream unboxing on Patreon, which I'm uh, editing down and speeding up so I can get a, a, a YouTube video out of it over at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Maybe up already by the time you're hearing this. Uh, but building the new generation arena and and going through all this, uh, it made me start thinking about the new generation again and the superstars that I kind of associate with it. Because, I mean, one of the reasons that I backed this thing, right, is because I love when stuff like this comes out that you wouldn't think would ever exist. Mattel is a toy company for children. What child goes, I'd really like to reenact the new generation era? What adult goes, I'd love to reenact the new generation era of WWE? It's not a thing. There shouldn't be a customer base behind it, but that's how amazing pro wrestling is that somehow this customer base forms around it and, and, and it becomes a thing that is viable. I love that. But I start to think about the new generation, right? And, and you know, there's a lot of, of people who, who, who turn their noses at the new generation. The new generation, uh, well, it didn't, it didn't give us Triple H, but it gave us Hunter Hearst Helmsley. It didn't quite give us Stone Cold Steve Austin, but the tail end of the new generation gave us the ringmaster. It gave us uh, Duke the Dumpster Drossy, Man Mountain Rock, Rad Radford, who, by the way, I loved both Man Mountain Rock and Rad Radford. The Goon, Freddie Joe Floyd, a lot of wild-ass characters. It was like the new generation, I mean, and, and a, a big part of it too was was a good thing, right? It if you really sort of go beneath the surface of the new generation, you realize that's when the WWE started to embrace a more athletic style. 
That's when uh, smaller athletes found a space to become main event players in WWE. You know, the new generation was when Bret Hart was finally able to prove that having great matches is a thing that wrestling fans can get behind. And Shawn Michaels started to prove that just because you're not six foot seven doesn't mean you can't have a level of charisma and athleticism that penetrate through any camera lens imaginable. So that all that is there, right? But it's covered beneath a layer of not Kane, but Isaac Yankum, DDS, the evil dentist. It was like uh, while the new stuff was coming, which was this athletic style that would be the foundation for what wrestling would look like in the future, WWE wasn't quite ready to let go of its past where superstars like the Million Dollar Man, the Big Boss Man, uh, Son of a Plumber, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Mr. Perfect, like these, these sort of gimmick heavy characters had been very, very popular. And it's like, you almost felt like you had done everything. So now it's literally, we're gonna get, the goon is a hockey player who got thrown off the ice for fighting so many times that he was uh, expelled from the league. And now he's a professional wrestler because he likes to fight, but I guess he's only comfortable in hockey jerseys and wrestling boots that are sort of come down almost like a triangle at the bottom. So they actually look like ice skates. It was an absurd, absurd time. But I was thinking, you know, because I've talked about, uh, I talked about this on the Peacock show, not Sam Wrestling, but I talked about people that need to be given a second look from that era and people who are kind of scoffed at, but in reality, were like so far ahead of their time. Like we're, we're such brilliant performers and, and Doink is kind of my go-to. Matt Bourne's portrayal of Doink, say Doink from his debut at the end of 1992, up until the fall of 93. So that year, that year, the first year of Doink is like Hall of Fame level untouchable character work. Um, everything after that is garbage. And I, I, it clouds the whole Doink mystique. But what I, I was thinking about even further was another character that I think uh, I uh, just could have done so much more. And that character is Waylon Mercy. If you go back and look at Waylon Mercy, now now the thing about Waylon Mercy is he was clearly, like he was a direct ripoff of Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. If you haven't seen Cape Fear, the remake, the Scorsese movie, I think it came out in like 1992. It's incredible. It's one of uh, Scorsese's most underrated movies. It's one of De Niro's most underrated movies. And you know, it's hard to come out of, you know, there's Goodfellas, there's Casino, there's all this stuff, but somewhere tucked in there, Cape Fear is just an incredible, incredible movie, rewatchable. Uh, Juliette Lewis, uh, 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 what's her name from uh, uh, American Horror Story? Um, the name will come to me in a second. I got all these names sweeping through my head. Nick Nolte is in, it's so good. It's so good. But Waylon Mercy was a direct carbon copy of Robert De Niro's character in that movie. But to me, that doesn't say, okay, well, that will never work. 
because Razor Ramon was a carbon copy of Scarface. Razor Ramon was just doing an impression of Tony Montana in Scarface. Tony Montana is a great character. Razor was, Scott Hall was able to do this great impression, but turn it into something that was his own. And I think that, 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 that Dan Spivey, who's great, by the way, Dan Spivey, one of the underrated pro wrestlers of all time. Like Dan Spivey, dangerous Dan Spivey. You go back, you look at the stuff he was doing with the skyscrapers. You look at the stuff that he was doing by himself. I mean, he's just so believable. He's just so this guy that you don't want to meet in a dark alley. He's awesome. I'm a big Dan Spivey fan. Same reason that I love like Bruiser Brody. Like it's just these big kick your ass in real life dudes. I'm, I'm, I'm such a fan. And I think that Waylon Mercy was the perfect kind of WWE-ing of Dan Spivey. Problem was that it came late in Dan Spivey's career when I, when he may not have had a lot left in the tank. So I understand why more didn't come from it. But but man, I almost feel like there was still like, even if, if, if Waylon Mercy, because if you look at the original Bray Wyatt character, and Dan Spivey went to the Performance Center or, or FCW or wherever Bray was at the time and worked with him a little bit. And, and like, you know, Wyndham uh, uh, got the blessing of Dan Spivey before he did anything because clearly this character was rooted in Waylon Mercy. That's why the Fiends, you know, when, when the Firefly Funhouse and the whole Fiend gimmick, that's, that's why the puppet was named Mercy the Buzzard. It was named after Waylon Mercy because the original Bray character was was derivative of Waylon Mercy, who was derivative of Robert De Niro and Cape Fear. But like, I, I I almost feel like there there there's there was so much there. He would come out and he would say, "Lives are gonna be in Waylon Mercy's hands." Know what I mean? And he just like had this southern drawl, and he had this uh, black hair that was straight and not long, but not short. You know what I mean? It was, it was like kind of down to his cheeks and, uh, uh, and he would come to the ring. He would shake all the fans' hands. Good to see you. Good to see you. And then he would shake the officials' hands. Good to see you. Good to see you. And then the bell would ring and he'd just be this brutal killer. He was a Southern con man is how he was described on commentary. This Southern con man. And it was such a, a a rich character. Like, you were looking at him going, okay, where is this going? And before it had a chance to go anywhere, it kind of ended because I guess Spivey could only do so much. But I almost feel like he, he would have been the perfect character to be like a manager who would have a match a couple of times a year. And it'd be like a last resort. Like the last, like the, Waylon Mercy accompanies this guy to the ring. Right, and this guy should be winning matches. The last thing you want to do is have Waylon Mercy get in the ring. Once Waylon Mercy gets in the ring, you're done for. And I know I'm going back now and being like, "Hey, you guys ever thought about doing more with Waylon Mercy?" It's like it's a little tough to go back 20 years and go. But I mean, I don't know. I think about stuff like that, and like you know, who knows? Who could have? Who could have been, like, what if, you know, I like I, like I said, I loved Rad Radford. And Rad Radford, uh, 
he was like a, a grunge rock guy. He was played by Louis Piccoli. He was one of the great underrated performers who, who tragically passed away way too early. But Rad Radford ended up uh, with the Body Donnas. And the Body Donnas, he was like, it was like an odd couple type of uh, uh, grouping. Not pairing, but grouping. And and I, I I mean, I was just like thinking like, what if, what if Rad Radford ended up with Waylon Mercy? Like Waylon cleaned him up and like Rad came to the ring almost looking like a, a, like a, like a, like a Mormon almost, right? Like coming to the ring and like a button down shirt or whatever. And, and, and saying like, no, 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 I've, I've, I've cleaned up. I've grown up. We've all got to grow up sometimes. And, and I'm, a, I'm a young professional now, you know, I'm, 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 I'm here to do what's right. And it's great to meet you. And I love what you're doing here. And then the bell would ring and, and Waylon would be teaching him how to lie to people, right? Waylon would be teaching him how to, how to lure people into this false sense of security. And only so that you could then physically take advantage of them. Yet I just, I, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of, uh, there, there was a lot of potential. This is just my way of saying I love Waylon Mercy. What can I tell you? I'm a big Waylon Mercy guy. Hey, sorry for the interruption. We'll be right back to the show. But if you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer, boys. Yes, when you're playing in the summer sun, you got to make sure you're escaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leader in below-the-waist grooming is making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with our code NOTSAM. Yes, Manscaped. I mean, you know, we've all tried to do our own grooming and we realize why there's professional landscapers because things get caught up. Accidents happen. Don't try this at home. They say, well, you can try this at home with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. It has everything you need to prepare that summer bod without destroying your most precious commodity. Inside this package, you'll find everything you need for your package. The Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ears and Nose Hair Trimmer, so your head can look as good as, well, your shaft. Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, a travel bag to hold all your goodies, everything that you need. You know about that Lawnmower 4.0, the trimmer that features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Yeah. The lawnmower 4.0. It's got 7,000 RPM motor. I know it sounds scary, but they make it so smooth. Did I mention the trimmer is waterproof too? Yeah. Beach, lake, shower. This razor is going to devour even the strongest pubes. You could go into the lake with a full bush and come out groomed. Your partner will go for me and you'll go, yes, it's the lake of rejuvenance. I found the fountain of youth and I used my lawnmower 4.0 part of the performance package 4.0. Now, I know things get costly, but you can't put a price tag on your balls. However, when you do, you can get 20% off that price tag and free shipping 
with code NOTSAM at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code NOTSAM at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. We got a big weekend uh, coming up, a big uh, uh, wrestling weekend coming up this weekend. Labor Day weekend has expanded uh, tremendously. Um, we got three premium live events slash pay-per-views uh, coming up this weekend, but not a lot's announced, especially on the WWE side, but even on the AEW side, not a lot is announced. So uh, we're going to start the weekend Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, because it's going to be live in the UK. The superstars of the WWE are going over to Cardiff, Wales, and putting on Clash at the Castle. Now, big matches have been announced for the show. And tickets have sold, uh, to my understanding, incredibly well. But that said, this is a stadium show. This is taking place in a soccer stadium in Wales. This is a stadium show, and only five matches have been announced, which I find uh, peculiar. That there are only, that, that only five matches are on this show. I figured like we'd be going in, and this would be like a loaded like ten match card with kind of everybody on it. But like we don't even have. I mean, the Raw Women's Champion is there, but. She's not defending the title. We don't have a United States Championship match. You know, we don't. Here's what we have for Clash at the Castle uh, Saturday at 1 p.m. Um, Seth Rollins versus Riddle. And I think that's going to be a barn burner. And they've been doing a good job in the last month of, of building that up. And I don't know. I wonder about SummerSlam if there was a reason, like if Riddle was really injured or did they just feel like. We should, there should be more of a buzz about this match. We should build more story around this match. I don't know. I don't know why uh, this didn't happen at SummerSlam, but it is happening at Clash at the Castle. It's been built up over the last several weeks. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'll be good. You've got your uh, six women's uh, tag match, which is Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss versus Bailey, Io Sky, and Dakota Kai. Um, I, I'm sure that they're just trying to get as much juice out of this faction as possible. But I mean, you know, because clearly I think people want Bailey versus Bianca and Io Sky versus Asuka for sure. I don't think anybody would uh, be mad about seeing Dakota Kai versus Alexa Bliss. Um, and by the way, by Clash of the Castle, we could have uh, women's tag team champions on that team. We're down to the finals in the tournament, which I guess I thought that the finals in the tournament were going to take place at Clash at the Castle. But because this six women's tag match is taking place at Clash at the Castle, I guess that's impossible. Uh, Io Sky and Dakota Kai are in the finals, and they're facing uh, Raquel and uh, Aaliyah on Raw on Monday, uh, which makes sense. It's the women's tag team championship. It floats between brands. That's fine. Um, I would imagine Io Sky and Dakota Kai are going to win that match. But see, like, in my mind, I felt like the natural place to go was to do Io Sky and Dakota Kai winning the Women's Tag Championship and then having Naomi and Sasha make their big return. 
Because it seems like the women's tag division is trying to be elevated with this tournament far more than even at the beginning of the introduction of the women's tag team championship the last time. Um, but I guess that's not going to happen because if it did, if it happened on Raw, it would certainly take away from the six-person tag here. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly how that fits in to where this is going, uh, you know, Asuka and Alexa Bliss and Bianca or any combination of the three, they could certainly cost EO and Dakota Kai the Women's Tag Team Championship and have Raquel and uh, and Aaliyah win. It's possible, you know. I think that they want to put Raquel on a pedestal. I just, you know, I, 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 I think the idea is that EO and Dakota would be the Women's Tag Champs and then Bailey would try to get the singles title from Bianca Belair, but I don't know. Um, and yeah, and so I guess, I mean, you could have EO and Dakota win the tag championship. Then they go to Cardiff. They do the six women tag match. They do something to take out Alexa Bliss or take out Asuka, win the numbers advantage. They jump Bianca and Alexa or Bianca and Asuka or just Bianca or whoever. And then Naomi and Sasha come out and save the day. You could do that at the pay-per-view. That's a thing. Might happen. Uh, and then the championship matches announced are Liv Morgan versus Shayna Baszler. Which I, f I mean, I, I feel like Liv Morgan will retain the championship. Um, but I also kind of feel like it maybe it should be Shayna. I feel like Liv has lost some steam as champion in the last few weeks. Um, I think that the newness has worn off and that things haven't progressed. You know, I, I, I don't, and maybe it's just because of that three weeks ago or whenever it was that Liv went out and, and they booed her on television and I haven't gotten that out of my head. I don't know. Um, but I kind of feel like at this point, you almost want to do Shayna versus Ronda instead of Shayna versus Liv. But in order to do that, you really have to build up Shayna. And part of doing that would obviously be her beating Liv. But I, I, I do feel like if Shayna beats Liv, then it's incumbent on the WWE to have Shayna start winning a lot of matches. Like have her compete every week and have her choke people out. And in the beginning, Ron is congratulating her. And in the beginning, they're friends. And then, you know, over a period of time, I, like I wouldn't, do Ronda versus Shayna at Extreme Rules in a month. I would either do it at Survivor Series or if you can't, push it even further. See, that's the other thing. Like when you're thinking about storylines and where you're going, is Survivor Series going to be strictly brand warfare? At this point, you know, I don't know. But if it is, then you don't have that opportunity to have those big score-settling matches uh, Intercontinental Championship, uh, Gunther is defending against Sheamus. I think Gunther retains, uh, but I think it's going to be a knockdown dragout. I think Cardiff is going to lose their minds for this. I think Gunther and Sheamus are going to be two of the most over people in the building. I this match, is, this is going to be the match. This is going to be the match that people talk about. Now, Butch, I believe I saw a picture of Butch in a dark match on SmackDown. 
uh, wearing the Pete Dunne gear again. Not He was wrestling, and he was wrestling in bruiserweight tights, um, which would be cool. I don't mind him still being still being called Butch, but bringing some elements of Bruiserweight back, I think I think would be a good thing. Um, Hard Pass uh, in the Discord says the promo on Friday and or Monday sure made it seem like they were going back to brand warfare, and the, the logo for Survivor Series is blue and red, so that's why I stop myself before I say. But but it could be brand warfare, but then they have title matches as well. It could be brand warfare is just part of it. I. You know, I don't know. Hopefully this means they're not doing a draft, by the way, between now and Survivor Series. And we can actually build to brand warfare. Uh, And then, of course, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship is Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre, which if Drew ever had a shot at winning after the promo from Friday night, which was gangbusters, the fact that they're in Cardiff, if there was ever a time that Drew could beat Roman Reigns for the championship, it would be at Clash at the Castle. But even with all that said, I don't see it happening. You know, I, I don't see, I don't, I see Shayna Baszler winning before I see Drew McIntyre winning for sure. Between Sheamus and, I mean, Who's more likely to win, Sheamus or Drew? I would say Sheamus is probably more likely to win, and I don't think Sheamus is very likely to win. I think Gunther leaves with the title. I think Roman leaves with the title. I mean, this is the story that we're telling with Roman Reigns. You know, I I do, and yeah, I mean, and and I think that maybe you go into, especially because you have Karrion Cross, right? And it's like, yeah, well, you could do Karrion Cross versus Drew McIntyre. Karrion Cross is a heel. Drew McIntyre's a babyface, and that's true. But I don't know, man. I just I I I think I think we're gonna get Cross versus Reigns, and I think Cross is gonna be built into being somebody that is a credible threat. I don't think he's gonna beat Reigns either. I I am back right now, and I'm 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 wishy washy. I'm flip flopping on all this. All I can do is make a judgment based on what we're seeing in the moment. I think. Roman is keeping that title until WrestleMania again. I've thought this before. I was wondering about it heading into SummerSlam. I'm I'm thinking again. Roman keeps the title until WrestleMania. Um, the Sami Zayn pairing with Roman is incredible. Just crushing, annihilating. Uh, I'm hopeful that where that leads is Sami and Kevin Owens as a tag team versus the Usos. You know, I mean, I think that would be a credible threat to the Usos tag team title reign. They're on separate shows and Kevin Owens is smack dab in the middle of doing something else. So I don't know. Um, You know, that said, with Kevin Owens doing something else, I think Kevin Owens is being rebuilt to also be an opponent for Roman Reigns. I think that's probably what you're looking at heading towards WrestleMania is carrying Cross and Kevin Owens. And then I, and maybe Seth Rollins. And then I think as you get to WrestleMania, it's uh, Cody. That would be my guess. But who knows? So that's Clash at the Castle. And then coming off of Clash at the Castle, probably about 24 hours after Clash at the Castle ends, Sunday at 4 p.m., 
We've got an NXT show. NXT Worlds Collide is happening this Sunday at 4 p.m. on Peacock. And this is the show where we're going to have a few surviving members of NXT UK trying to find a place of supremacy in the greater NXT brand. NXT UK is is donezo until they reintroduce NXT Europe uh, in 2023. But in the meantime, you've got some champions and you've got some talent that they're not getting rid of. Um, so far, you've only got two matches, which I think is weird. I mean, they're both title unification matches. So I don't know why we're not doing a tag team title unification match as well. Um, and maybe that's because they want to do the Creed Brothers versus Gallus. Uh, I don't know. But um, I would imagine the Creed Brothers or some form of the Diamond Mine versus Gallus is going to be added to this show. But right now you've got uh, the unification match for the NXT Women's Championship and the NXT UK Women's Championship. Mandy Rose versus Michael Satamora versus uh, Blair Davenport. Triple threat. Uh, it's got, first of all, all the ma the matches on this show are going to be great. Like they're, they're just, there's, there's too many good people involved in this show. And who knows, maybe, maybe this is the time. Maybe now is the time that NXT starts to inch back to a place of, of prominence, you know, with Triple H being the guy in charge of everything. Maybe we do see NXT try to become kind of a hot product again, putting on great matches. And if you can figure out a comfortable middle ground, right? Because NXT at one point was just about like, let's put on the hottest shows in the industry. And that's what TakeOver was, I believe. Then it became for NXT 2.0, okay, it won't be the hottest shows in the industry anymore, but it will be a showcase of the superstars of tomorrow. And so the question more became, you know, not, oh, I wonder what Braun Breaker's going to do tonight. It became, when's Braun Breaker going up? When's Carmelo Hayes going up? When's uh, Legato going up? What about Tony D'Angelo? You know, it, it, that's what it became. I think there is a comfortable middle ground. You know, I don't think that we'll return to what black and gold was. I don't think that we'll return to NXT being looked at as a third brand. But I do think that there's a middle ground that you could get to where it's we're putting on hot shows, but also it's a it's a developmental showcase of tomorrow. Um, Tyler Bate versus Braun Breaker is going to be an absolute banger. It's just going to it's going to be great. The NXT championship and the NXT UK championship are uh, being unified which is actually a, a pretty big deal because the NXT UK championship is actually the WWE United Kingdom championship. That's the championship that was created and crowned to the winner of the of the UK tournament. That's the title that Pete Dunne held for all, for well, he had a Roman Reigns run with it. He held it for like almost two years. That's the title that Tyler Bate first won in the, in the two-night tournament where he beat Pete Dunne in the finals. That's the Ilya Dragunov title. That's the, that's the, you know, there've been a lot of classics 
that have been fought for that championship. And I think that championship has a, a history. You know, it doesn't really have a main roster history, but it does have a history that goes back even further than NXT UK. It's also one of the best looking titles in the WWE. I'm kind of sad that the UK championship is going to go away. Walter, Walter's run with the UK championship, you know? Um, yeah, I'm kind of bummed to be seeing, because when it says it'll unify the NXT championship and the NXT United Kingdom championship, the fact that there is no NXT UK would lead me to believe that you're just going to have an NXT champion. So, you know, I'm kind of bummed to see the NXT, the NXT UK championship leaving. I think that it's a good title. Um, but I'm happy that Tyler Bate is hopefully sticking around, even if he doesn't beat Braun Breaker, even if Braun Breaker is the one that unifies these titles. I would hope that this means that Tyler Bate, Michael Satamora, Blair Davenport, Gallus, that those guys are sticking around NXT. And Tyler Bate especially. I want to see stick around NXT. I want to see Tyler Bate go to the main roster. I mean, Triple H is in charge, right? We are within an arm's reach of getting Tyler Bate, Pete Dunn matches on the main roster. Like, it is not a stretch to think that the big strong boy and the bruiserweight are going to start having classic battles again, only this time on the grandest showcase that one can do them all on. And, and you might say, well, there's NXT UK. I don't know if they're ready for the main roster. Look, dude, go back to, I think, I want to say it was TakeOver Chicago. Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunne. It's one of the best matches in the history of TakeOver. It put the UK championship on the map as, okay, when the UK title is defended on a TakeOver, it's a big freaking deal. I'm very optimistic about this show. The for the original Worlds Collide was a really great show. So I, I, I think this will be good. It's fun to do it on this weekend coming right off Clash at the Castle. I think it's a good idea. And I love the idea of doing Pete Dunn, Tyler Bate matches on the main roster. Um, then on Sunday after Worlds Collide, Worlds Collide's on at four. It'll be done by seven. That's when the pre-show for... AEW uh, All Out begins. Now, AEW All Out is an interesting one because it's a pay-per-view with, you know, I, I I thought without thinking about it, there hasn't been a lot announced for this show. There's not, there's not a big thing. But when you look at the card, it's a strong enough card. It just doesn't have a main event. You know, it's just, it's just a lot of, of a lot of, weirdness has happened in AEW, you know, with CM Punk getting squashed by Jon Moxley on television on Wednesday instead of it happening on pay-per-view. But, you know, I mean, if you're going to go with the three-minute squash, or maybe it was less than three minutes, if you're going to go with a squash, I would say that doing it on television is better than doing it on pay-per-view. AEW World Championship matches on pay-per-view uh, have a certain expectation. And I think that a squash on a pay-per-view would be tougher to swallow than a squash on TV. That said, I, I wonder, and I and I think we'll find out on Dynamite that there will be a main event for Mox at this pay-per-view, who is now the undisputed AEW world champion. So let's look at what's announced for this pay-per-view. Um, 
You've got the uh, casino ladder match, which I don't believe they've announced any participants for yet. If they have, I didn't see it. But I don't think they've announced any participants for it yet. Um, you've got the AEW Interim Women's World Championship. So I guess it's good that they don't have a men's interim champion anymore because they're about to crown a woman. Of course, Thunder Rosa announced on the show on Wednesday that she was injured and would have to go away for a while. So there would be a, there's now going to be a fatal four-way for the interim women's world championship. Uh, it was going to be Tony Storm versus uh, Thunder Rosa, but now it's going to be Tony Storm versus Britt Baker versus Jamie Hayter versus Hikaru Shida. Um, you know, I mean, in terms of star power, look, there's all these rumors going around on the internet now that Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker legitimately hate each other. Like, the internet is reporting on Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa like they are the modern-day female Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. If And I don't know who's who. I, I wonder. I mean, they probably both see themselves as Bret. But let's see. Between... I mean, Brit is probably Sean, right? And that's not a negative. I love Brett and I love Sean. They're just very different. But Thunder Rosa is more the, okay, I'll just do the work and hopefully I'll get noticed. And, and Britt Baker is more the sort of charismatic, you know, star of them. So, you know, so yeah. So I, I, I think, I think Britt Baker is the way to go. With this, I mean, you could give it to Tony Storm, but uh, you know, I I don't know that, and and yeah, and that would mean that maybe, you know, Thunder Rosa would be in line for a unification match with Tony Storm. But I I feel like Britt Baker winning the title and fans knowing that Thunder Rosa would hate this is only going to add to her heelness. You know, this is new kayfabe where you're taking what could be a very real rivalry. We saw it with Brett and Sean and like capitalizing on it. And then knowing that you are going to get that Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match, because when the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match matches happened, there were no reports that I remember about them hating each other. Like that wasn't a thing that fans were conscious of. Now fans are, con whether it's true or not, I don't know, but now fans are conscious of it. And it makes me feel like that's the direction we should go in. So I feel like Britt Baker is the way to go. Uh, the tag team championship is on the line. Swerve in our glory, Keith Lee and Swerve, obviously, versus the acclaimed. You know, I. You know, I, it's good to get new people over, right? It's good to have the acclaimed in that spot. But it's like, you know, I don't know realistically you're watching this going, why wouldn't FTR be in this match? Why wouldn't they be the tag team champions? Right? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm off. Uh, FTR does have a match. It's FTR and Wardlow versus Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns. Uh, you know, my pro I like Jay Lethal. Uh, it's cool that the Motor City Machine Guns are going to be on AEW for the first time, but realistically, it's like, I don't know. I feel like 
Number one, I don't know why you're doing a trios match when theoretically the biggest match on the show right now is a trios tournament finals. So why are you doing a, another trios match? Um, why doesn't Wardlow have a big singles match on this pay-per-view where you're like building on him? You know, there's no way that in a, in a six man where FTR are his partners, that people are going to leave and not be looking like at FTR. Like they're, they're really good. Um, and I, and, and, and it goes back to the question about the tag team championship. Like why aren't FTR fighting for the tag team championship? I don't know. I don't get this match at all. Um, and then you've got three singles matches that I think are all great and are all like pretty deep in terms of story and 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 reason for being. Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson is just a huge match. I mean, nobody doesn't want to see Y2J versus Daniel Bryan. Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson is the match. You know, I mean, that's right now, that's the main event on this show. It would have to be. That's a that's a that's a that's a huge match that I I I, I am really looking forward to seeing. I and I and I I think people are sleeping on it. Like I can't believe we're even getting it. Uh you're finally doing Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy. So, you know, maybe we can stop cursing so much in promos because this uh rivalry will hopefully be over and hopefully Jungle Boy will get his, you know, moment in the sun. And then you got Ricky Starks versus Powerhouse Hobbs, who like, I mean, dude. If anybody in the last two or three weeks has proven star potential, if anybody is sitting there going like, you know, there was a time a few months ago where it was like, if I had one draft pick in AEW, Jade Cargill would be my pick. And I still, you know, am on that side. But today, if you told me I have one draft pick in AEW, it's Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks is that guy. So, you know, I'm glad that he's got, like, that we're blowing off this tag team. He's going to be a baby face. Hopefully he'll get a win over a big guy and, and it'll be great. And then, even though I said Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson should be the main event, it seems like where they're going with the main event is potentially the World Trios Championship Tournament Finals, which I think in the semis, which must be happening this week, you've got the Dark Order versus Best Friends. Which is a weird one. I don't think anybody thought the Dark Order was going to get past House of Black. Now, Dark Order versus Best Friends is a fun match. It's almost a Chikara style match. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I, I guess. I, I. So I would think that the Dark Order is going to the finals. That they're going to have Adam Page in their corner. And they're going to face Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Now, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are going against Will Ospreay and Ozzy Open uh, on Dynamite this week, which is tremendous because you have Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega in the same ring at the same time on TNT. That's unbelievable. But yeah, I, I, I think that the move is to do Dark Order versus Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Adam Page is in the corner of the Dark Order. And the question is, what's going to happen. I think what you do, I think people are ready for the elite to be baby faces. So I think what I would probably do is tease that like Adam Page might turn on the Dark Order, but then the Dark Order, the Dark Order might even beat up Adam Page. 
And while Omega and the Bucks are going to check on Adam Page, the Dark Order ends up winning. So what you do is you have the Dark Order with the trio's championship. And then you have Omega and the Bucks and Adam Page back together again as baby faces. And they have a rivalry with the Dark Order that would be short-lived. I think, you know, the elite would be able to, now that they're back together as a unit, certainly be able to overcome the Dark Order. But, you know, I think that's probably, I, I would probably go with Dark Order versus Omega and the Bucks as that trio's championship. Now, that doesn't sound like a main event of a pay-per-view to me. And I said Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson could be the main event, and you could absolutely main event a pay-per-view with that. But I think the the move here is if you've got Will Ospreay, and I don't know if you do, I feel like if you on Wednesday, if Omega and the Bucks beat Ospreay and Ozzy Open at the beginning of the show, if by the end of the show you announce that it's John Moxley versus Will Ospreay for the AEW World Championship at All Out, I think you're right back on track. I think you've got a huge pay-per-view. If the main event is Mox versus Ospreay for the championship, that's probably that's that's probably the move I would want to at least try to make. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know what the politics are, but that's probably where I would go with it. So yeah, you've got you got three giant shows all coming up this weekend, all that I'm very, very uh, excited to see. Uh, I was also very, very excited to see all the great feedback that I got last week. A lot of you really liked my uh, in, in-depth analysis on Hulk Hogan from pre-WrestleMania 3 up to WrestleMania 5, analyzing the true motivations, analyzing who was really at fault for a lot of the stuff, uh, and just re-looking at that story. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. That's why I like doing these A&E things. They get uh, all of the all of the documentary work gets this uh, gets this stuff all back in my head. Let me uh, dip into the email box because uh, we've missed the last uh, two weeks. We didn't get any last week. So uh, I want to get to some emails here. My email is notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, and also, I'm going to have new merch coming soon. So be on the lookout at uh, notsamshirts.com or just go to notsam.com and click the link. Um, Probably next week, though. It'll be a limited time uh, pre-order. Okay. Tyler writes in, Hey, Sam, just spitballing here, but what if the Vince McMahon thing and Triple H and Creative and all the old releases showing up, what if it's all a big work or maybe new kayfabe? Mostly just uh, think things are weird with uh, all the releases coming back. Things are weird, and it is fine for you to think that. It almost fits too perfectly with Triple H being able to do that, but it's a publicly traded company. You can't work who the CEO is. if You you are responsible to your shareholders. The WWE would be in so much trouble as a company. Put it this way. in uh, Several years ago, way before he ran for president, uh, they did an episode of Raw where Donald Trump came in and uh, Donald Trump kayfabe announced that uh, he purchased Monday Night Raw. And the first thing he was going to do is next week, there's going to be no commercials for either the first hour or maybe it was the whole show. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, like it was it was like Trump has taken over Monday Night Raw. He owns Raw now. 
shareholders who worked themselves into a shoot panicked, didn't know what to do. So WWE midweek had to announce this was a work. We're not going any further with it. Like, and that was when it was actually a kayfabe thing that wrestling fans all knew was just a storyline. But because shareholders weren't like got confused, they had to kibosh it immediately. So yeah, no. Great thought. Not a chance in hell. Uh, Josh says, cross in the bank. Set up a cash-in attempt on Roman during SmackDown. Have cross interrupted. Nearly making Theory lose money in the bank. Have cross lay him out cold. As Roman stumbles up the ramp, have cross lift up the case, yelling, if nobody's going to give me a shot, I'll just take it. Setting up a clash at the castle match, cross versus theory. Make it a super strong showing for cross. Let him play with theory, mentally, physically. Let theory hulk up for a comeback, only to get squashed by cross. At the end, theory can become a baby face that was beaten down and stolen from. Uh, setting up a the way return, cross gets some sadistic heel heat for robbing a young man uh, of a guaranteed championship opportunity. Cross can have a fast pass to top dog Roman for the WWE championship. Let Drew win the universal championship. Jesus Christ. Pros, uh, set up a heel versus face Survivor Series match, get cross heat, gets theory, white meat, baby face sympathy, sets up a stable return with Johnny Gargano. Uh, championships on both shows seen as a win-win. I Look, uh, you know, it's not for me, brother. Uh, I think that right now Theory is too good as a heel. Um, I never, I don't think anybody ever looks stronger for losing the Money in the Bank briefcase. There's no way that people would like Theory for getting his ass kicked and having the briefcase taken from him. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, I like that you're thinking. Not for me. Not for me at all. Plus, Gargano already came back. I don't know if you wrote that before the Gargano comeback, to be fair. But clearly, we're going with Theory versus Gargano. Uh, Kevin says, uh, long-time listener here, first time writing in. Love your show on who you think might come back. One name that I would love to see come back is Leo Rush. He could be paired again as Lashley's mouthpiece. I'm not sure of his current contract situation, but I would love to see him back. I'm actually a Leo Rush fan as well. I don't think uh, putting him with uh, Lashley would be the right move because... Lashley's a, a babyface now. Um, but yeah, if I I think I mentioned Leo Rush in that uh, comeback show as a, not not as maybe a top five, but as a side person. But yeah, I could see Leo Rush coming back. I think he's great. Uh, Rocky says, uh, may have this wrong, but uh, when all these cuts were being done to talent for budget purposes, uh, was this not being done under the authority of Nick Khan? I assumed he passed the list to Vince. But for the most part, he handled it. Fast forward, Triple H takes over, and now he has hired back a number of people Khan had let go for budget purposes. Do you see Nick having a problem with all his hard work being undone one piece at a time? You think Nick will eventually be eased out? No, I don't think that Nick was ever uh, responsible for that. I mean, Nick was never, Nick Khan, to my knowledge, was never in charge of creative. I think that that was a thing that the internet just started saying. It's like when they blame Kevin Dunn for camera cuts on Raw. Kevin Dunn doesn't do camera cuts. I don't know why people are like, look at these camera cuts Kevin Dunn is doing. This is just a thing that people say on the internet. It doesn't make it true. Like there are things that like, it's just, it just said. It's like, we all know this is true. And then it's like, it's not. It's not true. It's not a thing. Like it was made up once. 
And then somebody thought it sounded right, so they said it. And then the next person said it. These aren't true. They're not true things. So uh, yeah, to my knowledge, Nick Khan wasn't making these cuts. And I would say the the fact that they're all coming back is not some weird evidence that like there's some big power play and things are being undone because Nick Khan's the CEO. Nick Khan and Stephanie are co-CEOs. Triple H is the head of talent relations and creative. So Nick Khan's above Triple H on that pecking order, right? So, you know, I, I Nick Khan has more power now than he did when Vince was in charge. So I, yeah, so nothing, nothing about that first theory makes any sense. Not from you, the person who wrote that in, but the general theory that you're basing your question on. I think it was flawed from the jump. It's like everybody being like, uh, oh, they've decided not to push to TV 14. Maybe they were never doing that. Has you ever considered that? Like maybe that was never a thing. Maybe like it was just, there were a couple of typos, right? Like maybe this is all based on the fact that on somebody's TV guide or whatever it was, TV 14 flashed up by mistake. And and this thing has just been in the ether for months. And it was never a thing to begin with. Maybe. I don't know. This person writes in, hey, Sam, what's the haps? Listening to this podcast makes, and I say this person, your name is uh, Sifisili. Sifisili. I'm really sorry. I'm butchering your name. Sifisili. I'm going to go with Sifisili. Hey, Sam, what's the haps? Listening to this podcast makes me so happy because then I know there's someone out there in the world who thinks about wrestling as much as I do and maybe even more. Uh, uh, with <laughs> So with quadruple H, handsome Hunter Hearst Helmsley. He's so handsome. Showing us that it really is uh, all about the game these, these days. I hope he spices things up in the women's division by turning the 24-7 title into something different than what it is now, a mid-card championship for the women. I think they have a big enough roster for that. Uh, what do you think, Sam? I don't think so. I mean, I but uh, I didn't think that the women's tag division was the best idea in the world because I thought the roster was shallow. Um, not in a negative way, but just in, a, in like, you know, it's a good size for one title. I think that if you had all the women combined, then maybe, but like, Adding a mid-card, first of all, adding a mid-card title that would go between shows doesn't make any sense when the world title is specific to a show. Uh, so I don't like that. So you'd almost have to add mid-card titles to both shows. And that's when you really don't have enough people uh, to do that. Um, so yeah, no, I personally think that the move is to just have more story-related issues with women, you know? Like when you look at Clash at the Castle, I like that the six-person tag is story-related, you know? Like Seth Rollins versus Riddle. We don't sit there and go like, we need another men's championship because we don't need another men's championship because we can just tell stories and have them hash out and do Seth Rollins versus Riddle. There's no reason we can't do that with women. I don't think we need a title. I think we need to uh, tell more stories that don't involve titles with women. Uh, Steve. Hey, Sam, love the podcast. My question is, with NXT UK releasing most of their talent or most of them uh, uh, or most of them joining NXT US, seemingly rebranding the show, how are they going to build that roster? Thanks for answering uh, my question. Let me, 
My question is, with NXT UK releasing most of their talent or most of them joining NXT US, seemingly rebranding the show, how are they going to build that roster? I see what you're saying. So when NXT Europe launches in 2023, what does that roster look like? Well, you know, I I, I think that there's a good chance that uh, a lot of people come back. You know, I don't think that necessarily they're gone forever, but I think that over the next six months or so, Triple H and the powers that be are going to really figure out what NXT Europe is, who they need for it, who they're looking for for it. Is this something where we're just trying to put on a good show in the UK? Or is this something where we're creating a developmental system in Europe? So I think that I think that while they're releasing people now, that's just because they don't want to have people under contract when there's not even a show. I think that that they'll hire people and I think that they'll bring in, maybe, maybe they'll send some of their developmental people, some of the athletes they're hiring out of college, people like that over to Europe to learn from new superstars and learn new styles. And I think they might hire some people back from UK uh, and, and, and make them NXT Europe stars. And I think that they'll have people uh, from NXT US or maybe even the main roster going over to NXT Europe and just... Uh, Spicing things up. I, I, I think that would be the logical uh, plan. Uh, Ricky's room writes in, uh, Sam, hopefully all is well with you. So I've been doing some fantasy booking as we all do. You bet we do. I've been thinking about this Roman Reigns story and how it should end. I say that uh, if this isn't Roman's story, what if it's Jay Uso's story? Main event Jay Uso, huh? What if Jay starts to change and we start seeing the Jay we saw at the beginning of Roman's title reign? Usos uh, lose the title and Roman starts the heavy bullying and pushes the Usos around. They try to win the tag titles back at day one, are unsuccessful. Jimmy is the first uh, to fall at Roman's feet on SmackDown because he was just sick of the abuse and is written off TV. Jay then has one option to defend his honor and his brother culminating uh, in a Royal Rumble win from number 19, same as Roman. Roman bullies him more, pressure's on. Uh, I'm famous, like Roman says, is uh, one thing, Roman, look what I did to your brother, don't do it, Us. Uh, go get the other title. We can one, run WWE, assuming they're split by WrestleMania, which I wouldn't assume. Jay says to Roman, when I said I hated you, I meant it, and I'm becoming universal champion at Mania. Jay takes on Roman at the show of shows, getting demolished but not giving give, get it, giving up, fighting back constantly, just as we all think Roman is going to bulldoze Jay one more time. The return of Jimmy Uso. They hit the 1D. Jay hits Roman with a super kick and goes for the dive. One, two, three, new universal champion Jay Uso. Um, thanks for reading. Keeping wrestling fun and exciting. We appreciate you. I appreciate you. I like what you're saying. I like the story. I just don't think... I think the Usos are a great tag team act. I think if you're looking down the card, you know, I mean, I think that the person who beats Roman Reigns is like as close to beating the streak, right? Like when Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker and beat the streak, it made Brock Lesnar. Like that was the last step. I understand that, you know, you you, you might argue that Brock Lesnar didn't need to be made, but it made him a different beast. When, when, when Brock beat The Undertaker, it established that at any moment in any Brock match, 
Brock has a greater than 50% chance of winning. There is no match that Brock Lesnar is in that he doesn't have at least a 50% chance of winning. That's why the the newer, the latter, Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar matches have been so exciting. Because Roman has the same thing. Roman has at least, Roman has a greater than 50% chance of winning almost every match he's in, as does Brock Lesnar. What happens when the two of them meet? And even though Roman keeps winning, because Brock beat the streak and because he's Brock, there is no person that it's a given, right? When Brock went to WrestleMania 30, it was a given that The Undertaker was going to win. Once Brock beat The Undertaker, there's never been a given again that Brock Lesnar, there, like there, are, there is no given. There's never a given that Brock Lesnar is going to lose. He can, he can lose, but you can't go into a Brock Lesnar match saying he's definitely going to lose. Not since the streak. The closest we have to that is beating Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns has been an undefeated world champion for two years running. Uh, I think that the winner of that is going to get made, but is also going to have to handle the responsibility and is also going to have to be that person. Is going to have to be the person that is on the cover of every newspaper, is doing the Today Show, is like, this is the guy in WWE. This is the number one WWE star in the world. I don't know that that's Jey Uso. I'm a fan of Jey Uso. I don't know that he is the number one star. I don't know you're sitting there going, Cena, Hogan, Austin. I don't know if Jey Uso is going to get there. I think the Usos are in that conversation as far as tag teams go. To me, the Usos right now are the best tag team in wrestling. They're one of the best tag teams in the history of wrestling. But that's both of them together. Um, you know, I, I, to me, I think the only person to beat Roman is Cody. Because cause I get what you're saying. Like, it would be a beautiful story. And you realize, like, oh, my God, this whole thing was a, a Jey Uso story. And it'd be fun to tell that story. But what do you do from there? Where do you go after that? Is Jey Uso going to keep main eventing pay-per-views? Is Jey Uso going to be looked at as a guy that can really beat everybody? Is Jey Uso going to beat Brock Lesnar? That's the thing. Whoever beats Roman Reigns has to be able to beat Brock Lesnar. Is Jey Uso going to beat John Cena? Because whoever beats Roman Reigns has to be able to beat John Cena. Whoever beats Roman Reigns has to be able to beat The Undertaker. Whoever beats Roman Reigns has to be able to beat everybody. And I don't know if Jey Uso is that guy. Uh, let's go to Andrew. Um, first off, I want to say thank you for all you do. I look forward to your podcast every week. You're, uh, my favorite voice in wrestling. Thank you. You and JR. By God. I loved your podcast this week on peak Hulkamania because you reframed the babyface Hulk Hogan through the lens of history. Uh, we all remember Hogan, the superhero who at the time was supposed to represent everything a little boy should grow up to be, but you punctured some holes in that image. Yeah, I did pointing out some bitty, pretty big character flaws, bitty prig uh, character flaws in the original Hogan babyface. Perhaps those are flaws with Terry Bollea, the man himself, or maybe it was just part of the Hulk Hogan character, but it got me thinking. It got me thinking about Hogan's heel turn in WCW. I realized that Hulk Hogan was never a hero. He was always the man who would do anything to stay on top. Yes. 
which was revealed so clearly when he sold out WCW and went Hollywood. Same reason he stayed in the ring at WrestleMania 4. Same reason he stayed in the ring at WrestleMania 6 when the Warrior was celebrating, by the way. The truth is that Terry Bollea, well, and again, this podcast was about Hulk Hogan, not Terry Bollea. Truth is that Terry Bollea wanted to stay popular. He wanted to keep making lots of money, as he so fondly described. So he turned NWO black and white and became a villain. Better to be the main event heel than undercard babyface, right? Sure, but, but that could be Terry Bollea's motivation. But I, I don't pretend to try to know Terry Bollea's motivation. I am not analyzing Terry Bollea's motivation. I will never analyze the real human beings because I don't have that perspective. We as fans don't have that perspective. We shouldn't do that. We That's not the perspective that we have. The perspective that we fans have is that we watch the show and we can analyze the characters that we're watching. That's what I'm analyzing. So I don't know about this Terry Bollea guy. All I know is Hulk Hogan because... We don't see what happens with Terry Bollea. But if you watch every show, you see everything Hulk Hogan does. Hulk Hogan doesn't exist outside of the show. So you see it all. You see there there is no context that you're missing, which is why I can kind of reframe the existence of Hulk Hogan and not make it an evaluation on Terry Bollea. Uh, he continues. But the thing is, everything is cyclical. We just went through an 80s resurgence and then a 90s resurgence and the 90s resurgence is about to hit big. I would argue that we've already been through the 90s resurgence and we're getting into the 2000s now. Uh, I mean, Woodstock 99 documentary is on Netflix. That's the end of the 90s. Um, if Hogan had stayed a hero, maybe he would have fallen out of popularity for a while. He definitely would have. He did. Maybe 90s kids... Uh, like me, would have grown out of the red and yellow and cheered for the new 90s anti-heroes like Stone Cold Steve Austin. You did. Maybe that would have happened. And yes, maybe Terry Bollea, I don't know anything about this Terry Bollea, would have had to deal with being on the undercard for a while. Maybe he would have uh, had to halt production on that new mansion of his. I don't know anything about how much this guy's house costs. Also, Hulk Hogan never would have been on the undercard. It just doesn't happen. John Cena never would have been on the undercard. Like, once you get to a certain place, you're not ever going to be on the undercard. It's just you're not going to be as popular. Um, but maybe in the 2010s, the red and yellow superhero would have become popular again. He did. In the 2000s. He was the undisputed champion. He beat Triple H after WrestleMania 18. Where have you been, dude? Uh, maybe Hogan's time would have come around and us fans would have appreciated how he never sold out. Oh. No. Well, yeah. I mean, it didn't matter. Well, I'll keep going. We would have remembered him finally as someone to uh, live up to, a true 1980s American superhero like Rocky Balboa. But that didn't happen. Yes, it did. It 100% did happen. I mean, 2006, I want to say. That, like, uh, uh, when he was, like, had the SummerSlam match with Shawn Michaels, the Mr. America era. Hogan... First of all, Hogan came back at WrestleMania 18. He got cheered in Toronto against The Rock. He dropped the uh, uh, the, the the Hollywood stuff. He brought back the red and yellow stuff, and people acted as if he had never joined the NWO at all. They were just so happy to see the old Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania back that he went on a nostalgia run. 
And he won the undisputed title. Remember, he had the match with Brock Lesnar. He won the tag team championship with Edge. He did a ton of stuff. Yeah, no way. No way. He absolutely, absolutely, that did happen. Instead, we remember Hogan as the turncoat. No. The man who posed at the end of WrestleMania 4 and hogged the attention in the ring. Yes. The man who tried to steal his best friend's girl. Yes. And the man who, uh, in real life, would I don't know about real life. I don't pay attention to real life. It's too fake. <laughs> would leave the WWE to join their rival only to try to put Vince McMahon, who made his career, out of business. No, no loyalty, no respect. Like you said, no reverence. No, 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 no. The character had no reverence for Andre. Oh, the person playing the character has got to do what's right for business. I don't begrudge him for leaving or doing whatever. Vince does what's right for, did what's right for business. You know, you know, Vince wasn't loyal to a fault. You know, he wasn't loyal to the point that it cost him business. I wouldn't think Hogan should be either. It makes me think of guys like Undertaker and yes, even John Cena who created a legacy that can't be tarnished. Well, I don't know. NXT, Nexus era John Cena could be tarnished. Nexus era John Cena, I think could, 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 you could, you could draw to. I don't think you would, you know, but I'm just saying. Um, it makes me think of something uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan said when Hulk Hogan first turned heel in WCW. He said, Hogan's always been bad. I've been saying it for years. Now the whole world can see it too. Yeah, but he's a heel, Bobby Heenan. I'm not a heel. I thought, wow, maybe all this time Hero Hogan was actually the villain and the villain, Heenan, was the voice of reason. Funny world we live in. Yes, but also keep in mind, every villain has to be coming from a place of truth. It's just the way they pursue their truth is flawed. Um, it makes me think of characters like Superman and Captain America who don't care if people think they're cool. They don't seek uh, praise and, and validation by posing in the ring. They simply do what's right because they believe it in their heart. Don't No, Superman poses all the time. Superman's kind of a heel himself. No, don't. That's not true about Superman. I thought Hulk Hogan was one of those heroes, but after listening to your show last week, I realized Hogan was never the hero. He's actually the villain all along. Thank you, Sam. Uh, if you read the, if you've read this far, I definitely boo the bad guys. Love your show. Keep up the good work, my friend. Guys like you are the real heroes. That I'll agree with, Andrew. That was a guy. I, lo I love that email, by the way. I love long, thought-out things that we can actually. I feel like I'm having a conversation with you. Um, all right, I'm gonna. I got more emails, but I'm gonna save them for next week. Uh, Right in to notsamwrestling at gmail.com. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.